Hello and welcome to the Babble Screen. Uh, myself, Phil, and Steve O'Rourke. How are you, Steve? Good, Phil. How are you? Yeah, I'm all good. Um, it's Friday, the 12th of June. Two very tired uh, fathers here on the podcast this morning. Um, our boys, not, uh, we I love and adore. Saying, but I'm nodding, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our boys, who we love and adore, are um, they're, they're at it. That's what they're at. They're at it, the pair of them. But um, yes. Uh, all good here. We're going to get into it today about, obviously, um, Roger Goodell came out during the week and finally said something, um, something that actually people could maybe agree with. Uh, we're going to look at some of the uh, changes and implementations the NFL have decided to bring in regarding um, they're going to donate $250 million. But is that really enough? Uh, we'll talk about that. We're going to look at maybe is it too soon for the NBA to come back and maybe some of the NFL and NBA owners that have been silent and lots more other things. So hope you enjoy today's show, Steve. Um, we'll start first on the Roger Goodell statement and just the whole thing around Black Lives Matters and and how the NFL have really reacted over the past say seven to ten days. Um, for those of you who don't know, Roger Goodell came out and he made a, he made a statement on how he wants to support uh, protests and he wants to support um, obviously the Black Lives Matter movement and how he's going to stand with the players. Now mm. he did this because. A number of players came together with the aid of an NFL um, staff member and produced a brilliant video asking for help, basically. What did you make of this um, when you saw this statement come out with Roger Goodell? What was your first reaction? Um, it felt too little, too late. And and the thing about Goodell is, like, what do his words mean? They mean we, we've spoken about this at length, like, compared to Adam Silver, like, for example, like Goodell in terms of ownership is our commissionership is 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 really bad at this. Um what I find fascinating is that one player seems to have had the impact enough to make the entire NFL switch focus, and that's Patrick Mahomes. His decision to be involved with the players' video absolutely shifted the narrative completely, I think. Um when you have the face of Madden, the Super Bowl MVP. Yeah you know, putting his putting his weight behind the cause, you have to act on it. And I think that this this is exactly what we spoke about last week, about players using their privilege, about using their power in a really positive way. And for Mahomes to do that is and, and yeah, yeah, he's won a Super Bowl MVP, but he's still a young quarterback. He still has a lot of time spending the league and he's taking a risk to do that. The next step will be, well, how making a video is great and it looks slick and it, 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 it amplifies the message. But what are you actually going to do? Are you, gonna, are you going to take that next step of saying, actually, I'll put my salary on the line here as well and I'll risk fines and I'll risk not getting paid to sit out games to protest if I feel like the NFL isn't doing enough? Um, so that to me is the next interesting step. But in terms of, in terms of Goodell, I think this is... It's that move from it's not just good enough to not be a racist anymore. The league, the NFL now wants to show that it's anti-racist. It has a lot of work to do on that. Uh, but I also think that you, you have to, you know, it, it's a cliche, but like the, a journey of a thousand miles, take you have to take the first step. Mm-hmm. And this is the first step. And they, they do have a long, long way to go. But I think that at least, so we've had the, we've had the talk, we've had the messaging. Now what we need to see is action. 
we need to see players not reprimanded for taking a knee um, protest or to protest against police brutality. We need to see players not reprimanded for sitting at games to protest against police brutality. So the league has to back up its 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 talk with its walk. And and I, given the likes of Mahomes are pushing this, I would be surprised if they don't. I don't think they'll get away with not acting this time. Yeah. No, I fully agree. And it is so interesting that it was Mahomes. I think we mentioned maybe on last week or the week before that we you sort of you needed Mahomes to come out on this. And and it's a lot of pressure on him. He is so young. But he is, in my opinion anyway, he is the face of the NFL now. Himself yeah, and Lamar Jackson are, they're the two boys that are going to drive the NFL. You're going to see them, I think, win multiple Super Bowls each. Or at least get the Super Bowls, at least get the Super Bowls each multiple times. So it was so interesting that you saw Mahomes coming out and be the face of this and stand up for it. And it was brilliant. And it has obviously bolted the NFL into um, starting to make steps, as you starting to take steps, as you yeah. said. But it's just, when you're looking at the NFL, and also we're NBA fans, I find it so mad that uh, Russell Westbrook, who I adore, can, can put a slogan on his trainer, say, or on a sneaker. Um, like, say, for instance, he puts the Black Lives Matter hashtag. And that's grand. But if someone in the NFL were to do something like that, they're, they're instantly fined. And you're like, I don't, don't understand the reasoning behind that. Like, you're just, not only is it bad, you're just giving yourself, it's bad press, you're giving yourself just a target. You know, that is really stupid uh, business. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. And I know you've said it before. Sometimes it has been hard to support the NFL because of how they've treated uh, black players and because of what's been going on and how they treated Colin Kaepernick and they blackballed him. And I just wanted you to touch on as well, it was announced yesterday um, that they're going to donate $250 million over the next 10 years. Now, that that is a massive sum of money, right? But Amy Trask from CBS, the, the analysis, she thankfully she broke it down for us very quickly. It's $780,000 per team per year. Stormzy's committed $10 million pounds of his own money in the UK and you're telling me I'm, I'm not just singling these out you're telling me the Patriots can only afford to donate $780,000 a year that's ridiculous yeah it's, about, yeah it's about what they pay their punter a year <laughs> like do you know what I mean it, it's yeah. such an insignificant when in the scheme of how much the NFL makes and how much NFL team makes and how much NFL team owners are worth it's relative. It's the equivalent of, again, it's the equivalent of you or I donating 20 quid a year. Like, yeah. that's all it is. Um, so while the number seems big on the face of it, like, we could do, they could do so much more. They could do absolutely so much more. Um, and I feel like it's, again, it just feels a little like lip service to donate that amount of money. If it was 250 million a year, yeah, you could get behind that. Uh-huh. Um but not over 10 years. Um, because if you think about it, like some police forces in the US are funded in the billions every year. So like what the 700 and odd thousand, you know, per team difference does that make in terms of counter protesting and things like that? So yeah, it's going to be like, look again, to give them their due was the first step, but you need to see more. We need to see much, much more. Um, and like you said, that will be, when the season starts in terms of 
player protesting on their jersey or on their on their cleats as they call them um or wherever and getting being allowed to do it being allowed to express themselves because let's let's face it like black lives matter is not a political slogan it's a human rights slogan and Mm -hmm. how can anyone be on the wrong side of human rights do you know what like it just makes no sense to me so let's hope that it's a start and it can get better and bigger from from here that's the way i look at it Uh, 100%. So we saw Roger Goodell and we saw the NFL make a statement. But Roger Goodell's bosses, the NFL owners, is the biggest noise, and I put this up last night, is the biggest noise coming out of American sports at the minute, Steve, the silence coming from some of these owners? Yeah, there was a few statements initially, and to be fair to the Raiders, the Raiders was uh, one of the, I think only three statements mentioned the police and police yeah. brutality as being the reason behind these protests. Um, and that's it, really, you know. Um, but that's not, it's hardly surprising in such a conservative league. Like, why would a bunch of rich white billionaires be supportive of a cause, any cause that doesn't directly affect them? Um, which is a shame, really, because, you know, they have wealth, they have influence, they have access to the media. Like, when Roger Kraft talks, people listen because he's Roger Kraft and he owns the New England Patriots. Patriots. Um, It would seem to me that they have taken the decision that this thing will blow over and if we don't say anything, it can't be held against us. Um, and I don't think it is going to blow over personally. I think the momentum no. is there to continue this right into the season. And I think some of the owners are going to see when it comes to negotiating free agency and things like that, that players will not just vote with their wallets this time in terms of moves, um, that they will take decisions based on what ownership how the kind of messaging ownership has sent during this and I, that will be fascinating to see as well um but this really could come back to haunt quite a few owners particularly the ones who you know there were seven owners i think who donated directly to trump mm-hmm. um and i think there was five everyone else donated to both trump and clinton the last time and then there was five who didn't donate to trump at all you know so that will tell you that like so 27 odd teams donated money to Trump the last time it's very difficult for them to kind of switch uh, to say now that they're progressive and when you know the man they gave money to is pretty much the man responsible for a lot of what's happening at the moment so all of these things will be really interesting to see um, once the league actually kicks in um, And but I think you're right like the silence definitely speaks volumes and but it's it's not a huge surprise either sadly no, I like, and I know he. I used his photo yesterday on the tweet, Jerry Jones, which some people probably think is a bit harsh, but I don't at all. Like he's so brass, he'll talk about whatever, anything else. He'll be the first one to get involved. He acts sometimes as if he's king in the class. So if you're king in the class, then you need to stand up. And he has been absolutely deathly silent on the whole thing. Now I know. I think maybe the Cowboys released a statement, and that's fair enough. You can release a statement uh, on behalf of the organization, but I think. Um, an owner of such a massive sports team should be coming out and saying, and maybe he just doesn't agree with it. It could be, it could be the case. Like we, we think because it's the way we think that human rights matter and we think that this is an important 
um, situation and movement and the Black Lives Matter movement is something we want to get behind. And maybe he doesn't. Uh, we don't know, and I'm not saying he is. I'm not saying he does. He doesn't. Like that's that's unfair. I don't know Jerry Jones. I'm not gonna do that. But it is just, yeah. um, as I said, this the silence, and it's been from NBA owners as well. You know, we, we, yeah. we, certain NBA owners. I know Kendrick Perkins called for um, Dan is it Gilbert from the the Cleveland's uh, Cavaliers mm-hmm. owner. He's called for him to come out and say something, and he was right. He said, you know, you have your players support you. Um, when you're doing fundraising for your son and for your family and for different initiatives, initiatives, pardon me, your um the players are always there for you. Now you need to be there for them, and this is what's being lost in this. Like the players are always there for these organisations. In NFL, the players are literally giving their lives at times. We know the CTE situation, and I'm sure down the line we'll talk about that on this show later on. We know what's going on in players' bodies and they're, and they're being broken up and they're whatever and they're literally giving their bodies for an organisation and you would just think that maybe that organisation now would just stand behind them. And I know Jerry Jones gave the knee and people will say that and that's grand but <laughs> like he made sure the camera was right in front of him when he did that. Yeah. You know, you can, no, be, you can be critical yeah, on this. Like, even, so, um, yeah. it's so interesting. There, yeah, it is interesting. I think the counter argument could be, and I've seen this made by a number of, of black athletes, is, well, we don't need them to speak, but we need them to support us. So maybe they are doing things in the, like we don't, don't know. Maybe yeah. they are doing yeah. in the background to help. And and athletes probably should take a leading role. You know, if 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 what is it, eighty odd percent of the NBA is 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 black, and seventy five percent of the NFL is black, it should be the athletes taking the taking the role yeah. and have been. But you just hope that the support is there, even if we're not hearing it. Like you'd like to hope the support is there, but maybe that's being incredibly naive. Yeah, well, we can only hope, but that that would be for American politics as well. Well, I think it's not happen. Put a big, massive two finger salute to Donald Trump just before November. That mm. that could be pivotal. It could be so pivotal, but um, we'll see. And just before we move on, we, we, I want to talk about the Rooney Rule as well. It was mm. great this week to see NASCAR hoof the Confederate Confederate flag into the sea. Yeah. yeah, it's been a long, long time coming. I've never understood as well why people do fly it. Like I saw it here in in the north for some reason, and I, I I don't I don't get it. Like if you if you know what went on with that yeah. flag, like take take it down, you you morons. But it was great for NASCAR because obviously you look at NASCAR and you just think like this is so mad, but you just think white. When you look at NASCAR, you know what I mean? Just look at it and you think white and you think oh, like yeah. for them to do that was big and fair play to NASCAR for doing that. It's been a long time coming. So things are starting to change in America and we hope it keeps going, hope the momentum keeps going. One thing that changed, I think it was on the 19th of May, was that they adapted the Rooney Rule. So can you just quickly tell the listeners at home what the Rooney Rule is? So the Rooney Rule is named after Dan Rooney, uh, former U.S. ambassador to Ireland and owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, he brought it in in 2002 when Tony Dungy uh, of the Bucks and Dennis Green of the Vikings uh, were both sacked. Um, Dungy had a winning record at the time and Green had had his first losing season in like 12 years or something. Um, Johnny Cochran, who you might remember um, from a number of high-profile court cases in in the nineties and and noughties, he kind of said, "Look, we need to do something about this. We need to 
give black and ethnic minority coaches a chance. So the rule was brought in basically that everybody interviewing for a head coaching position has to interview at least one candidate from an ethnic minority background. Now, it had a really big impact at one stage. Um, I think in the first 12 seasons, 14 non-white coaches were added. But then last season, eight teams had a coaching vacancy and one uh, coach of color was appointed. So, like, that's an... And then you have stuff like... Um, you have stuff like the Raiders. So it's, the Raiders wanted John Gruden to be their coach. But mm-hmm. because of the Rooney rule, they had to interview the you know one of their offensive coaches just to take a box, and it should not be a box ticking exercise no. at all. And the sad thing is that it's now 2020, and we have the same number of uh, black coaches um, as we did in 2002 when the rule was brought in. So you know, from that point of view, you think there was no benefit at all. Um, I think 20, I think, what was the biggest number? I think there was eight at one stage in like 20, 2007 or 2010. That was the most we've ever had at one time. Um, but Emma Thomas, say, for example, was was an interim head coach. We had St. Michael's Inglaterra, Jim Caldwell, Raheem Morris. Um, there was a couple of others. Um, and it's just not great. Like, it's really, it's like, it's not great at all. Like so, at the moment, you've you've Brian Flores, um, Ron Rivera, and Anthony Lynn, and that's it. Um, so I think what the problem is is too many teams, like the Raiders did that time, see it as a, a box taking exercise, and that's a shame because the Raiders were obviously the first, um, the first team to appoint a minority head coach uh, in, in Tom Flores. Uh, back in 1979, uh, won two Super Bowls with the team. Um, Arch Shell was the first black coach in the NFL, also with the, the Raiders. So like, there's a team that have traditionally been really, really progressive in terms of their coaching hires, mm-hmm. and yet they flouted the Rooney rule. So if a team that 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 is that behind the hiring of minor, because let's face it, like if if as I said, 75% of the league is african-american but three percent of the league's coaches are or ten percent of the league's coaches are african-american there's that's such a huge discrepancy but that said i wonder is it like the quarterback rooms that we talked about i think on the first uh babble screen we did we talked about how we did the the quarterback used to be seen as a white position and now all of a sudden it's not anymore. Yeah. And will head coaches be the same? Yeah. Um, so let's hope that it is, but I'm not optimistic, unfortunately. No, it's... Uh, Mike Tomlin actually was it was in from 2007. And he's been like a, a mainstay. Um, but yeah. it, it, it is... That, that's a good point, actually. Will we see it uh, change? And will we see um, more more black and more ethnic minority coaches been given the chance to, to be not not only just head coaches but general managers and um, offensive coordinators uh, defensive coordinators you know special teams coordinators just given the chances and one of the rule changes was that you now have to i think you only had to interview one uh yeah but i think minority or black or i think minority um candidate but now you have to interview at least two 
um, which is which is the main change to the Rooney Rule change, and and obviously it, it is great to see it. I, I just like it is mad that we that there is a rule is in place in two thousand and twenty, um, that uh, a sports organisation has to has to interview because otherwise they won't. Yeah, Do you know, what I mean? you, like you, like you, that 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 to me, Steve, feels so backwards. So like it, um, no, go on ahead, go on ahead. Sorry, go on ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. I, yeah, sorry. And, and when I, I forgot um, my comment there because of my hatred of the Steelers. Um, so apologies for that. Um, <laughs> I actually thought I just, you'd mentioned them. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. Uh, yeah, that, sorry. So, I suppose it's that thing where so Ron Rivera is not considered a black coach. Ron Rivera is considered a, a an ethnic minority coach. So there's three black coaches and Ron Rivera as an. Um, and yeah. minority that, that's my bad and apologies for that um but yeah it like the the fact that the rule has to be brought in like is sad but like we do we do need to do more like same in in like soccer like i mean we need like how many like what percentage of, of premier league footballers are, are are black and like what percentage of premier league managers are black it like it, it's such a stark contrast um and Positive discrimination is is far from ideal, but it 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 has to be done in any walk of life. Everyone has unconscious bias, and you know, with the NFL, it the the, the bias is like it used to be with quarterbacks that 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 black coaches aren't smart enough or aren't good enough for the big jobs, and you know, for some teams that's probably a very conscious bias, but for others it's it it is an unconscious one, and that's why we need to put forward the 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 Rooney rule and and make it stronger like to be honest I mean it's not just about head head coaching is one thing but like I think like five percent of offensive coordinators are are black or from an ethnic minority so there's there's also that side of things and again this goes back to a lot of offensive coordinate coordinators are ex-quarterbacks and we've gone through a range of of or a timeline when all quarterbacks were white and so again maybe it's a time thing and we'll eventually catch up but you know it's so striking when you look at the people in uniform and the people in suits on game day and the discrepancy between them um and hopefully like will that will come to an end soon um but look whatever steps we can take to, to make it a more diverse coaching league and a more diverse um, sport in general are, is a good thing. So fingers crossed that any changes to the Rooney Rule will work. Definitely. Um, just on rule changes, a little segue into our, later, our next piece, a little bit a little bit of fun um, on Babble Screen this week. So myself and Steve were texting and talking obviously Steve is an offensive coordinator for the West Dublin Rhinos and um, I am now number one fan out of Armagh they got the Rhinos and if the Cowboys are listening sorry apologies <laughs> um, I think some of the Cowboys actually unfollowed me since me and you have got together in this but oh well <laughs> good luck um, any, anyway we decided we would come up with some rule we'd, we'd change a rule in the NFL now I was thinking about this and what I would do and, and different things but I know Steve that Sometimes you're not a big fan of kickers. Yes. Um, so my rule change, and folks, when you're listening to this at home, please uh, uh, get in touch on, on what you think about these rule changes. My rule change would be regarding fourth down. So basically, obviously, we know what happened on fourth down. 
when teams are in certain situations, they just hoof it back up the, the field, and that really winds me up. Right? I just think like there's so people are so more so much better, not so much better skill, but so much skill now involved. People are quicker. I don't know. I just find it like you get a chance to really stick a dagger in a team, and I know teams can feel the pressure, but that's fair enough. Don't don't get me wrong. I, and I don't know what that's like to be in that situation, but I sometimes feel like you're wasting an opportunity here to actually take away from a team rather than give it back to a team and potentially um, get absolutely done in. So my rule would be around the fourth down. I had it on my phone here, so don't get it wrong, but it's regarding whether you kick it back or not. Basically, you would I wouldn't have them kicking it back. I can't find it on my phone, but I got it in my head. So what I would do is, when it comes to fourth down, um, I would take away a punt return. Right? That's the start of it. Yeah. You can't punt return it now. So you have to throw the ball. But what I would do was, that's unfair to take that away from the offensive team. What I would do was, I would give you more time to decide what you're going to come up with. So you, you would have more time to bring it up. I would also put in, um, if you lose the ball, so if you don't win the down, instead of, um, if you're inside your own 20, so if you're near the end zone, you lose it, you're in big trouble, obviously. Instead of that happening, the ball has to go back to at least past your 20-yard line to give you a bit of a breathing space to defend the next set of downs. That's mm-hmm. what I would do. I think the punt return is such an easy cop-out at times. And I know some teams' defences are unbelievable and they, they want, sometimes they want to punt it back. <clears throat> some teams will take a seven-point lead and just decide, we're just going to kick this back then the whole game because they're not going to beat us. And that, I, Whatever, but I think it would add to it. It'll never happen, <laughs> but I think it would add to it. Especially like it was such the drama. Can you imagine a Super Bowl? And you're on your your own seven yard line, and you're in fourth down, and you're say you're up by one, and you're having Tom Brady now has to throw this ball, or Patty Mahomes has to throw this ball. It would just add even more to the drama, which is already a dramatic sport. Uh, what what was your take on that rule? I really like it. I really I think like uh, for for exactly the same reasons you said that it just adds that bit of excitement um to it and it takes away like don't give me there there is a skill in punting and there is a skill in punt returning um but it you're right it feels like a topic like i'm very much uh like if i could convince my head coach that the rhinos never to punt we like i'd never punt i just think that odds are always a bit always on better to go for it on on, on fourth down and there's like the thing is about like fourth down depending on time you know you down or depending on the distance the first down there's so many options you can do because you know if you're over three yards the team is expecting you to pass it but if they're expecting you to pass it you should probably run a draw play which is where you step back in the pocket and look like you're going to pass but then you let really late hand the ball off to the running back and at that stage all you should have cleared out the box so there's loads of things you can do and it makes it really interesting it's that chess Chess played with like you know soldiers as as people describe um, American football. Like it really is that kind of thought process between the the offensive versus the defensive coaches. Uh, for me, my rule change actually kind of involves kickers as well. So it, it's kind of twofold. Um, I think that a kick over fifty yards should be worth four points, and a kick over sixty yards should be worth five points because there's this, there is like a skill in that. Now, teams who are indoor obviously have uh, a huge yeah, advantage yeah. with that. But then teams who are outdoor have wind behind their back, so maybe you could kick sixty yard field goal mm-hmm. as well. So that 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 kind of evens out. And I'd also introduce a three point conversion. 
So, which would be you have to you get the ball on the twenty yard line, and if you score, if you pass, if you get it into the end zone, it's worth three points or whatever. So, the two point is obviously from the two yard line. The single point uh, after is is from the ten, and then this makes it just that little bit harder by going from the fifteen or the twenty. Um, just again to give teams that are down by a couple of scores a chance to claw back. Um. Because there's nothing worse than a team who's down by nine points, and or sorry, say eleven points is the worst scores to be down by in, in football. Because even if you score twice, at least if you're down by ten, you can go down, kick a quick field goal, and hope to get possession back and go and score your touchdown or whatever. So it just it, it gives teams more options to come back, which is, you know, there's so many one score games in the NFL that it'd be really great to kind of see a bit more, uh, a bit more like really down to the death games as well so they'd be my kind of it, it, all around the same idea but uh like i don't know maybe we shouldn't be giving kickers more power what do you think uh, see um if i will if i did play for the west dublin rhinos there's a good chance you would just have me kick things because uh, i'm small and I know finally I get far I get hurt far too easily if it was running about anyway. And I'm not very brave, so I would probably be not that I'm saying kickers aren't brave because they are, but at least because I, I, I played soccer and Gaelic or whatever, I, I can kick a ball decent. And um, so I, yeah. I, I'm all I'm sort of sometimes I'm for the kickers because I think oh, um, you know there's a lot of pressure on them, but then other times, say for your team, they miss like a twenty yard straight in front of the post field goal, and you just think remove your legs. Because yeah. you're you're just you're not using them right, and you're you're winding me up here. And but I, I do think if you, if they are going to make rule changes, because they always tweak things and they, they talk about them um, challenges and different things, they get really complicated. I think around the kicking is probably the easiest one you can change things to, like what you just said about adding an extra point on if it's certain distance or okay, you're taking away the punt return there. But you know there is different things you can do around the kicking, like you can implement it in certain ways. It's it's interesting, like I. I I would love to see some rule changes. I do think it winds me up you know, when, when a team is uh, in really good field position. They're on fourth down. Say they're fourth and two or three and they hoof it back. Like yeah. sometimes, I, sometimes I've just walked away from the screen or like ignored the screen. Just been like, I'm, I can't be bothered with it. You know, it, it, I'm just like, no, come I, on. It's people coach not to lose rather than coaching to win, um, which is such a shame really. If I if I had if I had if I, if I was an offensive coordinator and you are one so you can jump in here if I had someone of the skill of Patrick Mahomes can throw it like a, a missile and can run I don't think I'd ever return it or very, not ever but it'd be very 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 little returns I'd be like no I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep the ball here because if I get a chance to get Patrick four more downs in good field position then that's far better than just kicking it back. Yeah, like the the percentages all point to going for it on fourth down is the right thing to do in almost every situation. Um, now, if you're fourth and eighteen on your own one yard line, <laughs> maybe you should punt it. But then again, teams aren't going to expect you to throw the ball there, so they'll have sent out their return team, and you can catch them off guard and stuff. So there's always, for me, there's always a reason to go for it on fourth down. So I'd be, you know, ultimately you'll find when you're involved in coaching, the offensive coordinator controls the first three downs. It's the head coach controls the fourth down because they have to think about defense as well uh, and field position and stuff like that. But um, if it was if it was my call, I'd be going for it on fourth down every single time, which is a shame because 
like my best mate is like the kicker for the rhinos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm taking him out of a job, like so. That um, that's in, I was about to ask you that because I know you're an offensive coordinator. Do you get a say? But you, uh, you I'll have to say, but, but it's say, always but no. <laughs> no, 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 that's not necessarily like I mean, Gisty, our head coach, is, is really progressive and he's really attack minded. And, and one of the things I said to him was, Look, when I signed up with the Rhinos, was look, I want us to be aggressive, I want us to do things that other teams aren't expecting us to do. Um, because what like it's not like there's money on the line, you know, so what's the point in coaching for to not to lose? Like we might yeah. as well go out and, and, and try to win. So yeah. um but yeah, like and there, like, as I said, there's so many different things you can do on fourth down, um that like it becomes it becomes a fun a much more fun and it, the other thing as well, if you know you're going for them fourth down, that changes how you call the first three downs as well. So yeah. like um Mike Lombardi always talks about playing Canadian football, which is you consider that you only have two downs every time. So in Canadian football, you have to punt on third down, right? Uh, rather than fourth down. So you only have three attempts to get 10 yards or whatever. Uh, and he thinks the NFL team should play like that. that you, you consider your, you need to get your first down within the first two downs uh, rather than the first three. But I'm actually of the opposite thinking. I'm thinking if you know you're going to go for the fourth down, then you have four attempts. You need to move the ball an average of two and a half yards an attempt. I mean, anyone should be able to manage that. Like, so... That that's interesting. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna park some of the NBA chat because we've ten fifteen minutes here, and I, I want to get in this view because you are an offensive coordinator. So, just on things like that, have you have you called a play? You don't have to name the play because I know obviously people might be listening. But have you called a play that has won a game, and you've been like, you've spot? Can you spot things like? As an offensive coordinator, do you sort of have to be, this might sound really stupid to you here, but do you sort of have to be like a quarterback too where a quarterback can see things that are going? Can you spot things? And can you change a call um, within a certain time, you know, before before the snap? Or is it just is it straight into the hands? You know the way you'll see in the NFL, they obviously have the earpieces and all in. Like I know Amer- uh, Irish-American football, we're, we don't have the funding yet. But if I win the Euroleans tonight, you'll get the, some of the funding. Don't worry, I'll look after you. So do you, have you, have you, ever, have you ever even seen something change in the defence and called it, like maybe made a challenge or called it and stopped it and then made the change and that's been successful? Yeah. Um, the, the one I can really think of, the one that really stands out to me was uh, when I was offensive coordinator of Tullamore Phoenix uh, about eight years ago now. So we had our quarterback injured in the first quarter and then we were playing the draw had a lightning, I think. Yeah, it was draw the lightning. With our quarterback injured in the first quarter, we had our backup then get hurt in the third quarter. So we had to put in a guy who'd never taken a snap in a game before. Oh boy. And yeah, and so we had a really good running back in, in, in Darrell O'Brien or Darrell O'Byrne, um, who was phenomenal. He was the best running back in the league at that stage, in the league we were in, the DV8 league. And the game was a one-score game. Uh, we were up by three, and it was, as I said, it was the third quarter. And we really needed, like, we were we were driving really well, but we weren't scoring. Um, so we were just at just before half the halfway line, and I could see they could see at our third choice quarterback going in, and all of a sudden they stacked the box like they went one and one on the receivers. And everybody else was in the middle to stop the run because they just assumed we were going to run the ball. 
So I said to David Maloney, who was the guy going in, I said, look, I know you control the ball deep. I don't know if you control it accurately. But I said, if you can hit, we're going to basically run two goal routes on the outside. We're going to fake the handoff. We're going to fake a handoff, play action. And we're going to run. At this stage, like, we had, we like, with him going in, we reduced the playbook to basically four plays. And each of those plays had a run option and a pass option. And uh, it was, what was the name of the play? Uh, I think it was called Edge. They were, they were all named after wrestlers anyway at the time. That's all I remember. So, nice. Uh, yeah, so that, that particular concept was two outside receivers, a fake handoff, and basically two, two outside receivers going deep. And I said to him, look, they're expecting the run. We should probably run the ball here. It was third down. Um, but I want you to go try, try and find the end zone. And he did. Fair to him, he threw the ball like a good 40 yards, uh, 30, 30 of which was in the air. Reynolds, our um, receiver, who was phenomenal, caught the ball in mid-stride and just like sailed over the head of the defensive back. There was no safety help because the safety had come down to stop the run. Um, and he just trotted into the end zone. And it was just beautiful, like just to see that kind of, that willingness to take a risk. Um come in like and, and and benefit so i really like i i enjoy doing stuff like that with with the rhinos because the way the season happened this year and we haven't been able to have a season everything we've done has kind of been in training but i'm not giving anything away to say that our playbook is set up that if we run a play on the third play of the first quarter we might run that again sometime late in the second or early in the third and it's going to look exactly the same, but if we've run it the first time, it's going to be a pass the second time, or vice versa, or it's going to look exactly the same. And you're not, you're going to think you have this figured out. You know what this play is, and then it's going to do something completely different. And that's the key. It's, it, I think, the biggest misconception people have about calling plays is that it's a play at a time. It's not. Like I have literally, I, 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 I can show you without showing you, but um, I have a, an A3 sheet like you'd yeah. see Andy Reid have on, on the sideline. And it has not only like all our plays and all our play calls and how to get those plays in and out to the in and out to the players on the field, but it also has a list of we've run this play here, here's where we're going to run it again when the defense does this. So if uh-huh. we see mo- most most defenses in the Irish American Football League run cover two. Um, so it's a fairly standard like read for the, the quarterback. Cover two is where there's two safeties back. So they're basically hedging their bets that like they have two defensive backs on the outside and two safeties. And most teams only run four receivers. And what they'll do is if you're running a fifth receiver or the running back, a linebacker will take care take care of that. Like so it's a the Tampa two defense. Like I mean, people have, would have heard of it, like anyone who's listened to this podcast anyway, certainly probably ha- has heard of it. And it, but what that presents to you is everyone everyone is in is in man coverage on the outside. So they're saying, I've got this guy, I've got this guy, whereas the two safeties are in zone coverage. And because it's that hybrid mix of zone and and man, there are gaps in the coverage that you exploit. So when you see that, you go, right, runs to the outside are gonna work because if your receivers can block, they've only got one person to block. They don't have multiple people to, to block. And passes to the middle work really well because there's that hole in the zone. 
So what I would tend to do against cover two a lot of the time, and not all the time, just it it's a nice way to do it, is run a lot of mesh concepts. Um, and mesh is basically where you have two outside receivers, two inside receivers, so usually a tight end or maybe a running back who comes up, and they cross just behind, within like five or six yards of the, 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 the line of scrimmage behind the defensive line. And what that does is it not only lets your quarterback make really quick throws across the middle, it it feeds everyone into this section of the. I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm describing it with my hands, but it pulls <laughs> it's good for all me. the linebackers. Yeah, yeah. It pulls everyone into the middle of the field and it opens up the outside. Yeah. So what you usually have when you have got a mesh concept, what it usually is, is two inside receivers are crossing and then they can shallow cross or they can deep cross. But the main thing is that they cross. And what you do then with your outside receivers is you can send one of them into the mesh again to draw the safety. If it's a single safety or a double safety, it'll usually taking one receiver and bring him into the middle draws both safeties. And then what you're saying is your best receiver is on the outside on his own and you send him deep um, and you hope to get that one and one coverage. The beauty of this is if you run like any sort of decent quarterback uh, running quarterback. The beauty of this is everyone's here. The quarterback tucks the ball and runs to the outside. Yeah. There's a ton of space for him. It's it's obviously not ideal for 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 run plays because it slacks the middle of the field. If you're running yeah. towards the middle of the field, but likewise, if you run a draw or a pitch to the outside, either left or right, you've got a ton of space now. All of a sudden, and if if you're taking this game two and a half yards at a time. If you're running back, can't run three yards into all that space, and then you're doing no. something wrong as well. So, yeah. so people think that, like a lot of people will talk about mesh as being, um, as being like uh, uh, bad for your run game, but it's actually not. I I find it it opens up your run game, and then there's again, it's without getting boring, you add layers onto it. So, what you can do to change it up is that when you're running the mesh, most of the time it's two inside receivers that are crossing. But if you actually cross one of your outside receivers instead, so that drags the defensive back in and then send your inside receiver, your tight end or whatever, deep. The safety has come down. Defensive back is in the middle of the field. Your tight end, who theoretically should be your biggest you know, receiver, is now yeah. one and one at the very worst. There's no way he's in double coverage. Um, and again, another layer to add to that is to take your other outside receiver, bring him on a mid-level route, so he takes, he actually takes the other safety. And in some cases there, your tight end's running free because the linebackers and the defensive backs all think that the safeties have gotten covered, but the safeties are having to do a job defending the yeah. the, the, the outside receivers now all of a sudden. And you like you often have, if you run the mesh concept, re, if you run it really, so what you would do is you would run it normally a couple of times or three or four times or maybe even five or six times. And so is they that, think they know the what feel, they're doing. Is that the feel the defense out? It's to, it's to get them to think that they know what you're going to do. Okay. And then the fourth time, fifth time you run it, instead of crossing, your tight end releases deep. And nobody knows what to do with them because they haven't seen this before. And they assume that the safety has him. Because the safety, or they assume yeah. he's going to put in or whatever. Like, so, yeah. it's, so I think that to me is the biggest... Um, the biggest thing people who aren't like watching the sport at a detail, they think, right, it's called this play, called that play. Because like they play Madden and it gives them three <laughs> to play. 
No, but seriously, they play Madden. Yeah. It gives them three suggested plays, uh, you know, two runs and a pass or whatever. And they go, oh, that's how I call plays, one at a time. But it's not about that. Like, you, you run play action because you want teams to think that you're going to throw the ball all the time. And then you actually hand the ball off to running back and they don't, they don't actually, um, yeah. they don't, they, they haven't, they, 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 they've spaced out the middle of the field. So you're running back at space. You run a draw play, as I mentioned earlier on, because you want them to think you're throwing the ball. Everyone's spread out. You hand the ball off or the quarterback runs late on a draw play either. The quarterback draws are really powerful. And you've got a ton of space to get, because it's not every play. And we've, we've talked about this so many times. Not every play is a touchdown play. It's to set yeah. things up. It's yeah. to it's to see what the def- how the defense reacts to a certain formation or whatever. Like so, there's so much thought process that goes in. And people might think like, oh, you're doing this on a Sunday league level. Why? You-? Because it's fun. Like I get so much fun out of like sitting back and thinking, right, this is a base package. How many things can we do out of that? So the way I- when I was designing this playbook, my first thought process was, can I? How many different plays can I get out of something that looks like one play? And my current record is I can get 224 different plays out of one formation, one look. That's how. <laughs> look, but that's how. That's how. Yeah. And all it does, all I have to do is change a number or a color at the end of something, and people know which one it is. But that's how difficult the job of a defensive coordinator is. Like most defensive playbooks have eight plays yeah. and it's and it's slight variations on each of those, but you have to go against an offensive corner who, like I said, can out of one single look run 224 different types of things. And that's like because you have pre-snap motion, you have all of these things that you can do differently with, with the play makes it makes it really really like difficult to kind of judge like the smarter players will have a sense but often you can take advantage of a really smart player because he's going to be the one that thinks oh they set up like this before i'm going to jump this snap because i know it's a handoff to running back you fake the handoff and he's suddenly tackling someone who doesn't have the ball and your quarterback's running behind them or whatever you know like so that's where I think the likes of Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, why they're the future, is because they can't, they don't just throw the ball, they're a threat with their legs. And that's what that's the future of the quarterback position is you have to take advantage of the fact that everybody else has a player marking them for want of a better term or covering them. The quarterback doesn't. The quarterback will always have five to six yards of space. Take yeah. advantage of that. Um so that's that's really where like and that's like I said, like that's just one like mesh concept is like one of the first plays that goes into a lot of playbooks. But yeah, like it's it's so much fun to kind of see how one slight tweak here can completely make a look, make a play look like a, a, a very different play, even though it's the exact same thing. No, that is that's perfect. That's what we want on the bubble screen. I ask you the questions, and you can educate everyone else. But um. Um, and I'm going to do this more often, I think, on this, so we can talk about this and different things. And obviously on the Bible screen, in case anyone from the West Dublin Rangers is listening, you will never obviously disclose plays or names of plays no. or anything like that. No. And uh, that wouldn't happen. We wouldn't do that. But um, I do I want to touch on before I let you go. You are saying about the Madden thing. But, and one of the things you said a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was really interesting, and you brought it up again today, was not every play is to get a touchdown. And I do think 
that a lot of people will watch the sport and think, right, here we go. He's going to go for Hail Mary here or he's going to go for this here. But it's not. You're laying traps, which even in my head, like opens up another um, realm of the possibilities of what, what's going on dur- during a down. Like, you know, when, when, when the offensive team has the ball, you're thinking, right, what are they they're trying to set traps? It's just even more int- intricacies to this game and how strategic it is. It really is like uh, chess with human bodies. Like, it really is. Yeah. It's so um, it's so interesting, and and if anyone ha- says, "Oh, what are you doing for Sunday League for um, in Ireland?" Come down and watch a game, and and it, it isn't Sunday League. Like I know it is like amateur athletes playing or whatever, but but it's really not. Like it's it's not just a case of um, two teams going down and lumping uh, an American football about the place in the mud for for three or four hours. It's really not. It is so difficult, so tra- strategic. So anyone that has that comment can get in the bin, but. Before we move, before we go on, just quickly, has there been any? I know, obviously, we're all coming out of lockdown, north and south. Um, has there been any movement on when potentially you'll get to train again? Um, and different things with with the West Dublin Rhinos. Uh, it looks like we won't get to train before August, uh, which means that the Shamrock Bowl was due to be on the tenth of August, which means there won't be a season this year. So it looks like. We'll probably go back to training in October, which is great. Like, because it just gives me a chance to kind of. It's disappointing. Don't get me wrong. Like, I really, really wanted to have this season because I think we would have done well. Um, but I think it's it's good. It just gives me a chance to kind of tweak the playbook a little bit more, add a few more wrinkles. Which is that's all football is is wrinkles. Like uh, uh, Warren Sharp um had a stat the other day that six teams um ran pre. I think this is going to be the next big move in football is pre-snap motions, um, which is where a player, everyone sets down, then the quarterback taps his leg twice and a player moves. And what that does is it, it te- if, a, if someone moves with him, that tells you the defense is in man. If someone doesn't, if the whole defense shifts, it tells you they're in zone or whatever. So six teams ran at more than 50% of plays last year. Four of them got to the AFC or NFC Championship game. All right, okay. So yeah, so that's gonna that mm-hmm. and it's copycat league. People are gonna people are gonna people are gonna follow that, and we're gonna see much more pre-snap motion this year. But yeah, and, and just to reiterate what you said, if I'm talking about specific plays, um, or specific, yeah, if I'm talking about specific plays, you can I can actually guarantee it's not in our playbook. So yes. um, it's more about the idea of the concept behind it because like. There are only a limited number of concepts. It's what you do with the formations and all that that, that go with them. So I've no problem, but I've no problem talking in detail about the actual concepts themselves. So yeah, um, get down to a game when we do come back. Get down to training if you want to train. There's a the beauty of American football is there's a position for everyone. There's a position for the fat guys like me. There's a position for the fast skinny guys like you. There is there is a position for everyone. You're, no. you're very kind, Steve, but um, <laughs> um, I don't think I'm fast or skinny. But thank you very much. Um, that'll, that'll, <laughs> we obviously when 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 the West Dublin Rhinos win the Sham, win a Shamrock Bowl, obviously one of the key players will be the Babel Screen. Obviously, <laughs> like that, that's obviously going to happen. But um, that will do us this week um, on the sports Babel in general. We've had a busy week um, with a number of podcasts. Um, Liam Toomey's been on. Jay Skeets from No Dunks was on, which I was stupidly excited about. Obviously, this um, I absolutely love doing with my friend Steve and brilliant as always, the Babel Screen. Um, catch us on all of our social media apps, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
um, at the Sports Babble. And if you have any questions for this show or any of our other episodes, um, drop us an email at thesportsbabble at gmail.com. Steve, as always, it's been a pleasure. I'll speak to you again next week. Thank you very much. Chat then. All right, everyone. Good luck.